Truth Espresso, episode 51. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good three in the morning, whatever time you're listening to this episode of Truth Espresso. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, and we are continuing a series talking about abortion. And when I say we, I mean myself and my lovely wife, Chelsea. And Chelsea has a lot of experience dealing with the issue of abortion. And she is a certified nurse midwife. And she has done a lot of volunteer work in crisis pregnancy centers. She has done sidewalk counseling to help prevent mothers from killing their babies in abortion clinics. And so I think she has some good information to talk about this topic of abortion and how to handle it compassionately but with the understanding that it is a serious issue at hand. So last episode we talked about different tactics for handling abortion, the different ministries for trying to prevent abortions as pro-life movement. We talked about justice for all and starting conversations on the topic. We talked about sidewalk counseling at abortion clinics and the time crunch involved in making your message count when you don't have much time to deal with an urgent situation. And we talked about crisis pregnancy centers where those who are seeking abortions or not sure about them actually come to you for help and how you can counsel and minister to them there and prevent abortions with um, showing ultrasounds. But this episode, we want to kind of shift gears a little bit in the discussion of abortions to compare the issue of abortion with other issues and see how there are similarities. So to bring up some current news that unless you are living under a rock, you might know about what happened that fateful day on May 25th, 2020, where a black man by the name of George Floyd, who was a 46-year-old, was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota by a white police officer by the name of Derek Chauvin, and a spectator was able to get a video of this event, and it rightfully caused a lot of outrage across the nation, indeed around the world, and most people recognized that it was an act of murder. Now, things are still being determined about motivations, you know, whether the act was an act of racism or not, and how, if 
with the action of what killed George Floyd, the officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck for a solid nine minutes. And this resulted in his death. He was saying, I can't breathe. And it seemed the officer did not acknowledge this. And whether this was ignorance on the officer's part, if he did this with the intention of killing or not, that has yet to be determined. But nevertheless, this has sparked a lot of outrage, including recently a woman petitioned Merriam-Webster's Dictionary to change the definition of racism to include systemic issues and, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement that started several years ago has now come out again in full force and protests have gone in many major cities around the nation protesting police brutality and not only calling for justice for George Floyd, but it seems that the justice that they call for is some kind of systemic thing, an issue of so-called white privilege, the idea that way too many minorities are regarded as less valuable human beings and that they're treated as less valuable compared to the majority, which would be Caucasian or white people. And does racism exist in this country? Definitely. But sometimes the issue of racism the term seems to be thrown around quite a bit and if it is not defined precisely for acts of racism in its purest form, I believe that the definition of racism can become diluted. So my wife Chelsea is a guest here and I just want to ask Chelsea, honey, what do you see as the definition of racism? Yeah. Hi, babe. Thanks for having me on your show again. We were able to listen to Pastor Kurt Skelly preach a message called A Biblical Look at Racism. And I liked that he pointed out that racism actually isn't the correct terminology that we're using because God made one human race. He didn't make a black race, a white race, a yellow race. He made one race, the human race, and that racism is an actual a prejudice. And I liked how you were describing racism the other day. The combined physical attributes of one group of people that is seen as more superior, maybe more beneficial, helpful to society. And that group of people is superior than another group of people. So we're looking at a superior, inferior type of mentality. And from that, you can ask the question, do physical characteristics such as color of your skin, any health conditions that you have actually define whether or not a person has value, whether or not they should be treated with dignity and respect, and ultimately if one lives or dies. Yeah, thank you, honey, on on that. Um, And so, like, the issue of racism, I believe in its purest form, should be to understand that perhaps one believes that as a member of a particular group or particular ethnicity, as you mentioned, that the combination of physical attributes, for instance, I had an episode uh, months ago talking about ethnic discrimination and uh, how different articles would talk about the disparity of representation of different uh, minority ethnicities, even in major sports, for instance, minorities seem to represent about 
about 25% in the Major League Baseball, and it's mostly Caucasians who are the star players. But then when you come to the NBA, about 70% of them are African Americans. And that's because more African Americans have the skills to play basketball. Um, A lot of them are taller, or at least the sample of taller players are represented in the African American community, and a lot of them can jump higher. They have more physical prowess to be able to perform the sport of basketball better than other ethnicities. And I mentioned that when it comes to Asians, a lot of them might not be as tall as African Americans, but they have their physical prowess in being more quick and nimble, being more acrobatic, and so there are a lot more Asians represented in sports like ping pong and martial arts. And so racism is not really to recognize that there are differences in ethnicities on average in a whole represented from different locations and environments in different nations. I think everyone recognizes that. Nigerians are the world's best runners, particularly a one tribe in Nigeria who puts out the world's best marathon runners, bar none. And we, you know, we should recognize that as as a positive and not something to stress out about. Because when it comes to the issue of so-called equality, we recognize equality among human beings, and what makes all humans equal is that. According to the Bible, they're created in the image of God. Every single human being is created in the image of God. And where do we see this? If we look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 through 27, it says, And God said, Let us make man, or humanity, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And so God created human beings to be equals to each other in the fact that they are created as image bearers of God. And as image bearers of God, we also have the commandments of God that are equal across human beings. For instance, murder is an equal opportunity offender. The act of murder does not depend on what one's skin color is, It's because it is one human being killing another human being and treating that human being who is killed as less valuable a human being as the one who killed. And so it doesn't matter skin color or ethnicity because both the killer and the killed are image bearers of God. And so in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, after the flood, God set the rule for capital punishment for human beings, those who would repopulate the world, Noah and his family. And so we all come from Noah and we all come from Adam. And God did not discriminate against future future ethnicities when he gave this command in Genesis 9:6 Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man 
And so the law of God does not discriminate ethnicities. You are not more culpable or less culpable based on your skin color or ethnicity because we are all equal as image bearers of God. And so whether short or tall, dark or light, male or female, it doesn't matter. We're not more or less valuable. We're not more or less human. Murder is murder and law is law. And so this concern that I have, and I think you'd share this with me, sweetheart, is that under the guise of racism, under the guise of defining racism, not as an individual act of the heart or a motivation that one's ethnicity is superior and therefore to treat some people of another ethnicity as less valuable than your own and as i mentioned the set the full set of physical characteristics on average represented in one ethnicity being superior to the full set of physical characteristics represented on average of another ethnicity as being worth more to society or to humanity and that you can set up some kind of hierarchy or tiers of human worth based on ethnic representation, that would be racism in its purest form. But it seems like, you know, there's an overreaction to the death of George Floyd. It seems to have become a catalyst to try to say that racism is this ambiguous term systemic or institutional and that therefore even people who themselves are not racist in any way that it's it's okay to accuse someone of being racist by definition of their own ethnic representation and such that racism is somehow institutionalized so that white people in general somehow owe something to black people or other minorities in general because of history or the allegation of power or privilege. So Chelsea, you and I are not racist at all, but someone who proposes this idea of systemic racism think they have the justification to say that we are racist because of our ethnicity and that if we don't champion a certain political view, which can be boiled down to social Marxism, or if we don't support things like critical theory, critical race theory, or intersectionality, which I'm sure I can get into those topics in some future episodes episode of Truth Espresso, but if we don't support certain political viewpoints, like say if we believe in the free market, even indiscriminately, that anyone should have the opportunity to try to seek life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as the, the Declaration of Independence says, if we afford everyone, every individual freedom, that somehow that is racist and that somehow we have to have reparations from people who committed no crimes toward other people who are not themselves the victim of any crime based on some kind of systemic racism or some kind of 
privilege or power that is not something you can prove in any way, but you have to assume it. And so I think the problem is that the definition of racism is now being diluted in favor of political ideas. And then the real problem of pure, real, unadulterated racism is being jeopardized in favor of political pursuits. So pure racism, of course, as I mentioned, is the idea that one ethnicity is superior to another ethnicity. Or in other words, one ethnicity, the minority ethnicity, has less value as human beings than other human beings of other ethnicities. But we repudiate that idea and the, because the Bible makes all members of all ethnicities as image bearers of God equally valuable as human beings before God and that justice is understood in light of this. But, you know, with the, the mantra of black lives matter and we believe that black lives matter, we believe that white lives matter. We believe that Hispanic lives matter and everything else. We believe that male lives matter and female lives matter because all humans matter. All lives matter. And that means all lives outside the womb matter, regardless of age or gender or size or skin color. So what about the lives inside the womb? Do their lives matter? Yeah, that's an interesting question, sweetheart. So the question, when all of this politics about what lives matter and how we need to, even those riots that were going on, some people were defending the violence of the riots to say that this is the voice of the unheard. So what about the unborn? Don't they have a voice that's unheard? interesting thoughts to really to think about, especially even considering this issue of racism. And if we're asking the question about the unborn and we're talking about black lives matter, well, do unborn black lives matter? And Chelsea, I, I believe you, you did some research and looked at some statistics about abortion as they're represented in different ethnicities, and abortion is a tragic thing. And so, do black lives matter here? And what do the statistics tell us? Yes, so when I was doing some research, um, just to give a general background, the U.S. Census Bureau in 2019 reported that 13.4% of the population in the United States is composed of African Americans. So we have a very small percentage of our population is African American. And this is reported and some assumptions, so the statistic may not be extremely accurate. And then with Planned Parenthood, they reported that black women are three times more likely to have an abortion than white women, even Hispanics. And the Guttmacher Institute that we've talked about before, they do the research and um, post information about the statistics of abortion and such. They showed that the abortion rate of black women is almost double the rate of live births. So women are having more abortions in the African-American population than they are actually having live children. And so you can see that just within the abortion realm that they are continuing to be the minority just with those statistics. 
some of the contributing factors that they found for these higher rates of abortion among the black women is that a lot of their pregnancies are considered unplanned and that the majority of unplanned pregnancies are found in the African-American population. They also found that um, black women are more likely to be single parents or unmarried and that they are unable to afford birth control methods and they are more likely to use unreliable birth control methods when they do. So according to Planned Parenthood, the answer to the issue with more black women having these unplanned pregnancies is to increase their access to intrauterine devices, also known as IUDs. Um, Planned Parenthood proposes that this form of contraception is reliable. You don't have to remember, for example, with the birth control pill, you don't have to take a pill every day and remember that. And that IUDs are more reliable than, uh, say, a barrier method because you don't have to have correct use and use every single time to be effective. However, these IUD methods have their own risks. Not only are they an abortifacient, if a mom does get pregnant while she is on birth control pill, intrauterine device, whether it's the copper non-hormonal one or the hormonal method, both of those actually will eliminate the pregnancy if the mom is able to still get pregnant on that. So there's three properties to most of the birth control methods. And these, again, are the abortifacient. Barrier methods are not abortifacient methods. They are just creating a barrier between the sperm and ovum from actually being able to come together. So we would not consider that as Christians an abortifacient method because that type of method does not intentionally or have the potential to kill the baby. As we have talked about before, we believe that human life begins at that fertilization, that point where the ovum and the sperm come together. So the three properties of birth control methods are it's going to alter the uterine lining. So the now fertilized egg, the developing embryo, will not be able to implant into the uterine lining because it is a hostile environment. So that is the abortifacient part of it. Another property that the birth control method has is that it will make the cervical mucus more hostile to sperm, so it's harder for sperm to get through and to be able to actually fertilize the ovum. And then the other part of it is that it's supposed to suppress ovulation, so the woman's not supposed to ovulate while she's taking these different methods or has an intrauterine device. So as you can see, there's a lot of potential for doctors when they are describing these methods to their patients to describe it as, okay, this prevents ovulation. If you do ovulate, then it makes it hard for the sperm to actually get up to the egg. So most likely you're not going to get pregnant. And they leave out that third and most important part that is an abortifacient. So if pregnancy does happen, it's not going to be able to implant into the uterine lining. And therefore, you have just had an abortion. So a lot of these statistics are not accurate because of this fact that women are on IUDs, women are taking birth control pills, um, they're taking the morning after pill. So there's a lot more abortions going on than we even know because of these earlier on abortions taking place. So even though Planned Parenthood says the answer for the unplanned pregnancies and especially among black women is birth control, they are just following in Margaret Sanger's footsteps of trying to eliminate the black population and that is racism. They are specifically targeting a group and again this group is black people but also their unborn children. 
And abortion targets unborn children, no matter if you're white, if you're black, if you're Asian. They try to talk women into this is the best thing that you need to do for you and um, what situation you are in. So this is not promoting a proclamation that black lives matter. This is not pro-women. So not only with the birth control methods and the IUD methods, we have that abortifacient side of it, killing the unborn. We also have increased health risks for the mom. So promoting these devices that are going to put the mom's life at risk even to the point of she can get an infection, she can die, she can be infertile where she doesn't have children in the future, this kind of mask underlying health issues. So why are we promoting this so much? When I was in my nurse midwifery school, they were actually applauding the fact that Colorado has the highest number of 11-year-old girls with intrauterine devices implanted. So 11-year-old girls have these contraceptive devices that can cause serious health risks implanted, and these are done, and they do not need to have parental consent to have these placed. There is a story not too long ago of a girl who almost died. She was very sick. Her mom didn't know what was wrong with her, brought her into the emergency room, and come to find out she had an intrauterine device placed in, and she got a horrible infection from that and went septic. And her mom was distraught that she was able to have this done and she didn't even know about it. Her own mother didn't even know about this. And so Colorado is saying, yes, we have all these 11-year-old girls who we are preventing unplanned pregnancies for. Now our next goal is to try and get these into 9-year-old girls. So this is a scary reality that a lot of people aren't aware of that Margaret Sanger started back in the 60s saying that we need to get rid of these unwanted, these problems in society. And it is not just limited to the skin color like Daniel mentioned earlier, although there seems to be a target population of blacks in the abortion and birth control agendas, as we saw from the statistics. And so these unborn black lives do matter. These moms, they do matter. And we need to come beside them and support them and help them through this hard time because they do not deserve this. They deserve better. They are valuable. They are made in God's image like we talked about earlier. And I love the verse in Psalms 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's what our clinic is based on that verse. Um, that each person has intrinsic value. God made us valuable and we want to respect each person no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their level of education is. All life is valuable because they are the image bearers of God. Amen, Chelsea. And I want the listeners to know that by presenting these statistics showing that African Americans that uh, represented 13% of the population and yet having about 38% of abortions, this is by no means at all intended to be any kind of racist statement. This is a reality that it's not something that we should champion, you know, which we think the abortion 
abortion industry would champion this. They might be embarrassed by these statistics, but they champion the use of abortions that they think are helping uh, minorities and African Americans. And so we understand that Black Lives Matter. If we want to talk about a systemic racist issue, here you go with all the unborn African-American babies that are slaughtered by the process of abortion, and it seems to really subsidize and keep the population of minorities smaller so that they stay minorities. I mean, if it's racist for Chelsea and I, who would be identified by our skin color as Caucasian or white, to not want you know minorities to kill their children so that they can increase their population they wouldn't be as much minority if they you know weren't being pressured by society and the medical industry that they need abortions rather we should provide care we should provide financial aid and there are churches and crisis pregnancy centers counselors that will help there are organizations that help single mothers to be able to get on their feet help them get a, a job, help them support and provide housing for them. You know, this is what the pro-life movement is all about. It has nothing to do with any kind of ethnicity. It's ethnicity neutral, and we want people to understand, even in difficult situations, first, that there is help, and second, that all lives matter, regardless of skin color, and that includes the unborn and abortion is one of those systemic problems that has gotten people to believe that unborn lives are less valuable and that we can treat them as such or as less than human, even though we acknowledge they are human, but that somehow their value is less and that they can be treated less valuably than those who are outside the womb. And so, you know, we want to proclaim that we value all lives regardless of skin color, regardless of age, regardless of gender, all lives matter, born or unborn. And Chelsea, you mentioned Margaret Sanger, who is the one who really got the abortion industry going in the United States. And we think of all those millions of children who are slaughtered by abortion that, you know, that blood is on Margaret Sanger's hands. And, you know, she was a eugenicist. And I mentioned... I talked about Margaret Sanger in the last episode of my abortion fiction series months ago. And so some of those quotes from Margaret Sanger, I'd like to bring up again on this episode to show that abortion as advocated and birth control as advocated by Margaret Sanger is inexplicably tied to her ideas of eugenics and race. So let's look at what Margaret Sanger had to say about birth control. So this is from an article called Highlights in the History of Birth Control by Margaret Sanger on October 1923. Margaret Sanger said, quote, Succinctly and with telling brevity, these two words sum up our whole philosophy. Birth control does not mean contraception indiscriminately practiced. It means the release and cultivation 
of the better elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. Unquote. And so, with Margaret Sanger's eugenicist philosophy, she valued some human lives as worth more or worth less than other human lives, and she made the point to say that birth control really does mean birth control in her mind. It didn't mean even the way people use it today to control the birth of whether they want to have children or not as individual couples. She meant and society a systemic issue, if you will, that birth control was a state thing to control the birth of not the choice of the mother or the choice of the parents, but the choice of the state to cultivate the finest flowers of American civilization and to eliminate or eventually extinguish defective stocks, as she called them. And so Margaret Sanger was definitely one who favored some lives over others. From Margaret Sanger's book, Woman and the New Race, in chapter 5, that was called The Wickedness of Creating Large Families. This book was from 1920, during the strength of the eugenics movement at that time. Margaret Sanger said, quote, The most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it, unquote. And yes, she didn't mince words there. She didn't say, terminate or you know remove or what have you she said kill and she did say infant member and so even margaret sanger with birth control and support for abortion she even believed in infanticide if someone had more children some family had more children than she thought was good for society and so the infant member of a large family would be worth less than the infant member of some other smaller family in margaret sanger's eyes and margaret sanger did start what she called the negro project i hope you're not offended by that old term there, but this project by Margaret Sanger was directed toward making birth control and making abortion access easier and targeted at minorities, at African Americans. She wanted African Americans to make use of abortions and make use of birth control. Remember, birth control, she emphasized in her eugenic goals. And so, unfortunately, black lives did not matter to Margaret Sanger, as you would think, because she valued the killing of unborn children among the black community as a goal of her eugenics. And so, with the project directed toward them to make abortion clinics and abortion procedures and birth control methods more accessible, specifically targeted toward African Americans. In an effort to, you know, if we were to apply that quote from her, you know, she didn't specifically mention so-called race or ethnicity in the context of that article I mentioned before, but 
if it, it seems like you could consider a defective stock in Margaret Sanger's mind as someone of certain ethnicities. And of course, Margaret Sanger was not African-American, but Margaret Sanger certainly had a goal to make available the deaths of many unborn African-Americans. And so, unfortunately, what Margaret Sanger started in the United States is in full force through her Planned Parenthood organization, which is now the largest funded, privately owned abortion mill, abortion service provider in the United States. It is a for-profit institution that also gets federal funding. And it, as Chelsea, you mentioned with the statistics, it is accomplishing Margaret Sanger's goal. You know, Planned Parenthood still honors Margaret Sanger. And as I mentioned in the abortion fiction episodes, responding to an article by John Irving, he, for his movie, The Cider House Rules, received a Maggie Award named after Margaret Sanger. And so with all of the problems with Margaret Sanger's language and thinking and goals that are obviously racist and eugenicist, she's honored even today by the organization she started with those goals. And so even if the people running Planned Parenthood, even if they themselves don't have those goals, we don't know the hearts of everyone in Planned Parenthood. But what we do know is that organization Planned Parenthood is certainly continuing and is succeeding in accomplishing Margaret Sanger's goals that ultimately, effectively, are racist. They are hurting minorities. They are hurting African Americans. And so if Black Lives Matter, if you believe that Black Lives Matter, we really should fight to get rid of abortion and abolish abortion so that the unborn black lives do matter and their voices are heard. So, babe, I know you mentioned earlier about um, what first started some of the uproar with um, George Floyd was the video that was put out for people to see that injustice done with George Floyd. And I just wonder, okay, if more people saw the actual inhumanity of abortions, would they be in an uproar like they are over George Floyd? If they saw what really took place during an abortion procedure when they're ripping the arms and legs off of these unborn defenseless human beings, would they be offended? Would there be an uproar? So many people are in denial or don't even want to know about what is really going on with an abortion. Because I think if people really saw it, they would be disgusted. Since 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, there have been around 65 million babies killed. This way surpasses the Holocaust. The Holocaust had about 6 million Jews were killed during that time. Some people get upset if we compare abortion with genocide, but genocide is defined as the deliberate and systematic killing of a group of people that are not able to defend themselves. And that is exactly what abortion is doing. Abortion is systematic 
Planned Parenthood has this down to a system of how to talk, how to manipulate women into believing that they are doing the best thing for themselves and even for their baby. Um, It's just a tragedy that we see hardly anyone speaking up for these unborn. And I just wonder, like, what would happen if more people knew and saw what abortion actually does to that baby? Well, Chelsea, I think this is a great point to end this episode about very serious and very sobering topic about racism and Black Lives Matter and how the thinking of all this, all these politics relate to the topic of abortion and understanding that the unborn lives also matter. So I hope that you have been blessed by this episode and stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso when we talk about answers to pro-abortion arguments dealing with the question, what is the unborn and do and how do the unborn have a right to life? Thank you for waking up with Truthspresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truthspresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truthspresso. Truthspresso. 